You're tuned in to Free City Radio on CKUT 90.3 FM. It is Wednesday, the 13th of October. Uh, Today on the broadcast, we are going to be featuring an interview with author, political scientist Timothy Mitchell, uh, who wrote the book Carbon Democracy. This is an exploration of the ways that fossil fuel industries have shaped uh, Western political consciousness over the last uh, 100 plus years. Um, This movement does point to uh, anti-colonial resistance to uh, the imposition of um, colonial pipelines dating all the way back to the early 20th century. This book, I think, is very important to highlight the ways that uh, fossil fuels today uh, continue to shape uh, political possibilities. Uh, We talk also about the ways that Canada's economy is shaped by a dependence on uh, fossil fuel extraction from indigenous territories, uh, including uh, lands of the Wet'suwet'en people uh, who have been opposing a colonial pipeline on their territories um, for many years now uh, in the West Coast. Those are the subjects that are addressed today uh, in this conversation with author Timothy Mitchell. I really do recommend his book, Carbon Democracy. Um, and uh, this is Free City Radio on CKUT 90.3 FM. There is a new episode every Wednesday at 11 a.m. I'm your host, Stefan Christoph. Do stay tuned. Um, here's our conversation. I'm joined by Timothy Mitchell, who's a professor based in New York City and wrote the book Carbon Democracy. Uh, I think in many ways, it is a work that explores the sort of frameworks of conception of economics, um, labor, um, the political field within which we exist, (laughs) and how that's tied to fossil fuels. Um, British imperialism, of course, uh, starting with coal, but then extending um, to sort of Western hegemony Uh, and how that is fundamentally linked to our sort of universalist frameworks, uh, but actually how, in fact, fossil fuels shaped all that. Now, that's uh, a very attempted summary at some of the really important ideas in your book, uh, which I'm sure you can outline much more clearly. But I guess just to start, thank, thank you so much for taking the time to speak today. Oh, thank you, Stefan. It's great to be here. Right on. Um, thanks. Uh, so first of all, just I well, I, I do hope people take the time to read this book. Um, but if you were to say like quickly, what was like when you sort of set out to um, deliver or to share the ideas in carbon democracy, what were like some of the fundamental points that you felt were really essential to communicate? And I'm sure that you felt like a sense of urgency to sort of... I, the book obviously took a long time, but to sort of communicate these critiques and what on a fu- on some of the key fundamental points, what what are you, what are you trying to share with this work? Yeah, well, the book did take a while, and it actually began in the aftermath of the U.S. invasion occupation of Iraq, um, at a time when there was a widespread understanding that being an oil-producing state somehow made it difficult to become a democracy. So there was some implied. Um, relationship between oil and um, uh, democratic weakness. 
And that seemed to me a very simplistic uh, way to think about um, how the two are connected. Um, that if you're an oil, if if you're a state dependent on oil, you therefore find it harder to be democratic. And the arguments for that kind of view went back 20, 30 years. Um, uh, even back to the 70s, to the oil boom, when everybody had thought that development was a problem because developing countries didn't have enough capital. And suddenly there were all these oil countries with huge amounts of capital, and yet they didn't seem to develop, or if they did, they didn't seem to do it in a proper and a democratic way. So there, there was a lot of rather unhelpful history of writing about oil and development, oil and democracy. And I wanted to rethink the whole question of the relationship between fossil fuels and democracy um, to make better sense initially just of what was happening with the war in Iraq and the, the public discourse then, which um, is a different context from the book today. So what I set out to do actually was to look at the much longer history of the relationship between fossil fuels and democracy and to actually compare the rise of coal in the 19th century, and particularly the late 19th century, uh, with the rise of a second fossil fuel and our dependence on it in the 20th century. And the curious thing was that one could see that dependence on coal actually was a very important moment in the history of democracy. And not just because it created industry and large cities and things like that, but because it created a vulnerability. Um, industrialized countries were suddenly dependent on a single source of energy, um, particularly in Northern Europe. And that dependence made it possible for movements of, of workers to shut down an energy system. Um, uh, coal moved along very narrow, very vulnerable routes um, from the coal-faced pit head to the docks, to the power stations. And it was possible for the first time in history for workers to organize in actually relatively small numbers, but strategically to shut down that energy system. And I argued in the book that that was actually the source of modern mass democracy, um, that particular power for a while. And so that, made, that, that was the context in which to think of the difference oil made. And it made a lot of differences, but one of them was it kind of diversified sources of carbon energy. And it spread them across the globe because oil was much cheaper to transport across large distances. And it took away from workers for a long time that, that ability to threaten to shut down an energy system and therefore that ability to start demanding um, a, a whole range of, of political and social rights that had been built initially on, on, the, on the basis of that power. So that was the underlying idea, but then I, the book connects that to a, a lot of wider questions about um, our conception, our everyday conception of the economy, um, how that connects with, with questions of energy, of infinite growth, um, and uh, in the later chapters of the book, questions around um, uh, climate change and uh, how those more historical arguments about fossil fuels might be used to think about the, the politics of climate crisis. Yeah, I mean, some of the specifics that you get into in the book are around the shift uh, within, like, for example, the British Navy from coal to oil and how that was linked to the threat that worker strikes had um, presented for uh, British imperial power. Winston Churchill advocated for that, uh, which you detail in the book, I believe. Um, that switch, um, I'm sure that he was not the only figure involved. But um, 
just detailing a little bit more uh, the ways that um, that shift to oil was actually about closing that space or that democratic space that opened. And I think a lot of people might not really um, conceptualize or may have not made that link between the, the social space that was opened by mass fossil, fossil fuel distribution and labor rights. So if you could underline that a little bit more, I think that would be really helpful. Thank you so much. Yeah, so um, lots of people have written about the rise of mass democracy in the West. Um, and it, there's really a critical period between the late 19th century and the mid 20th century. There is a longer history of certain forms of democracy, uh, representative, liberal, constitutional government, uh, in which, of course, only a very small number of people actually enjoyed democratic rights. And there's a switch from that to mass democracy, which happens in the places where it does happen largely in the late 19th, early 20th century. And I suggest the critical difference um, was not the standard factors that are usually given. The standard factors are, well, was a sort of second industrial revolution. You had much larger cities, you had much larger um, groupings of urban populations, and you had the ability of those populations to, to uh, organize labor unions and, and, and things of that sort. All of that, of course, happened. But I think if you actually look at the critical moments in a, a whole range of, of, of countries, um, it, it wasn't just that there were urban populations, and it wasn't just that there were labor unions. It was that um, a particular alliance of workers, namely the, the coal miners, the dock workers, and the railway workers, were able to work together, even actually without sort of formal coordination. But what linked them together was the routes along which the coal moved. And in contrast to earlier energy systems, which were largely um, renewable-based, uh, forests and river systems and or just sunlight, um, this energy was was so concentrated in both the sources that it came from, the coal mines, the routes on which it moved, and the places where it was used, particularly the new electrical power generating stations, that you actually only needed to put pressure in a very few key points, docks, coal mines, power stations. And for the first time ever in history, you could shut down a country's energy system. And the word for that shutdown um, was a general strike. And this was the origins of this, this phenomenon called the general strike, which was a, a major weapon, again, between when it was sort of first threatened in the late 19th century through to the mid 20th century, when gradually the power was taken away. Um, so uh, it, it's taken a, a sort of well-known fact that forms of mass democracy have this specific history in a key period, um, but it's resituating the explanation in the very way in which energy is produced and distributed, and it's understanding that power, that democratic power, as based upon a certain power of interruption or sabotage. Uh, so again, whereas a standard view of democracy would often tend to be either about social movements or uh, about a certain kind of, you know, coming to awareness of rights and interests, a sort of mental process of people becoming democratic, I tend to work from the assumption that um, the people generally everywhere in, in the world want a better life and a, and a more just and a more viable form of collective living. But the difference is they can't 
they can't get that listened to. And they don't have that ability to make those in power listen. And there was just this moment when suddenly those in power had no choice because if they didn't listen, the lights went off and, um, and, and the means of heating and, and running industry and so on were cut off. And that was a rare moment. So um, that's how the argument of the book differs from general histories of the rise of mass democracy. Uh, that um, it, it's a it's a focus on a on a power of sabotage or a power of interruption or a power to inconvenience that happens quite often actually to be located in um, in energy systems and when the sort of second half of the book moves to oil or really most of the book after the first couple of chapters um, you also sort of want to look at that technical level of why it was that oil was not open to the same kind of sabotage. It wasn't that people didn't try. Across the Middle East in particular, as it became the world's major oil producing uh, region in the middle decades of the 20th century, there was wave after wave of attempt to organize strikes and to demand political and um, worker rights and other improvements. But they could be shut down because um, for a, a number of reasons, again, connected to the way energy was produced and moved. It's liquid, so you don't have to send workers underground. So they're much easier to supervise and control on the surface. It moves in pipelines, which are uh, you can it, it, you can interrupt the flow, but it's 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 much easier to interrupt uh, the movement of something by rail as coal was moved than than in pipelines. And then it goes in tankers, and the tankers can be rerouted anywhere. So no particular strike in one location is going to interrupt that movement. And the other argument I make is that it's not that sabotage disappeared as a sort of political weapon, but it changed hands because it actually fell into the hands of the oil companies because they were the one who could now control the flow, limit the flow to, to force prices up when they needed to um, and, and turn that movement of oil, of energy, not into a, a, a weapon of, of improved democracy, but a weapon of extraordinary corporate profits and understanding that switch that that ability to interrupt and to um, energy flow actually becomes a kind of corporate power uh, because the, the profits they made depended not on producing oil, but much more on limiting its production and monopolizing that production. So there's an argument, the, the other half, if you like, of the argument about democracy is how that power of interruption or sabotage shifts dramatically from the kinds of popular forces whose hands it have been in into the, the, the hands of, of well-organized um, multinational corporations. Well, you actually challenged the sort of location of the story of oil in the Middle East um, from a story of seeking abundance to limiting uh, oil access for corporations. Um, and uh, yeah, I mean, th there's so much to talk about. I, I, I also just wanted to mention that you, you did highlight this book uh, um, by Pouget from 1909 uh, called Le Sabotage. And um, I thought that that was really great reference to see uh, the ways that like direct action as a tool of democracy um, is, is important uh, in terms of the origins of the um, union struggles that you... you um, yeah, a, a very important book translated into English and um, not only um, very important among organizers and activists, but also um, being taken up politically. The key thinker who takes it up is um, a, a mainly forgotten economist, uh, Thorsten Veblen, who actually 
um, was the first person to sort of make the argument I've just made, which is that you can interrupt industrial processes um, and you can do that in the way we understand sabotage um, in that historic sense as workers organizing to interrupt um, the way in which um, things are produced or moved. Veblen's argument was, well, that actually happens all the time, but it, 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 it's really a power in, in the hands of business firms that are, are run not for purposes of productive efficiency, but for purposes of profit. And when your goal is profit, often what you're looking for is things like monopoly. And creating a monopoly is often a process of sabotaging everyone else. So there's very interesting history of the term sabotage um, in the early 20th century and this sort of battle over who, who has the hands to, who, who has the power to interrupt the way in which industrial society uh, allows goods to flow. So um, there's a lot to get into around the book Carbon Democracy, but I guess, you know, we, we have limited time. So I'll just go to this last point, which is the power of fossil fuels to sort of provoke fundamental questions. And so I'm thinking about Canada. I know this isn't in the book, but I'm thinking about, for example, the Wet'suwet'en Nation, you know, and the, the challenges over, you know, the fundamental essence of the Canadian state as a colonial uh, occupation force in the in the context of uh, uh, Wet'suwet'en, uh, the Sukwukmek people, many different indigenous communities who are challenging these oil and gas pipelines. And beyond the challenge and the assertion of indigenous rights or sovereignty, which is another discussion your book addresses, um, I don't know if we have the time to get into that, but it, the, 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 the section on and the book on that is really meaningful, the way that sovereignty conceptions are manipulated by power. But just in terms of like indigenous people, um, yeah, just any thoughts about the ways that still there is that vulnerability that you talked about, because, you know, those actions, although they haven't halted the construction entirely of these pipelines, have raised very fundamental questions about the entire legitimacy of the Canadian exists the state as it exists yeah it, it's been fascinating i mean I've, I've watched it and followed it from a distance i don't have anything like the knowledge that you have and i'm sure many of your your listeners and watchers will have um and of course there's been um on, on a smaller scale um uh uh similar issues pipeline issues in the u.s of course connected to the canadian oil production um no, I think it's enormously important to, and you know, I think it's part of a larger um, process of understanding that politics has this technical dimension. Although we're trained to think that politics happens in legislatures and um, uh, through the, the passing of laws or the blocking of laws, of course, it also happens on the ground. And um, and if that ground is itself the subject of um, sovereignty claims or stolen sovereignty, um, that groundedness, that very technical groundedness of politics in um, the systems that move energy and the sites where the, the, that fossil energy is produced, you know, there's an enormous... Um, breakthroughs, I think, in, in understanding those, that, those connected um, processes of, of uh, energy production and movement on the one hand, um, the technical equipment on which that is thoroughly dependent, and how you can actually turn those into um, 
you know, sites, as you say, of sort of political awareness as well as direct um, political action. And I think that's been an enormously important uh, aspect, certainly, as you say, of contemporary Canadian uh, politics, but, but also in the US. Thanks so much, Timothy Mitchell. It's been a pleasure. Thanks, Stefan. That was uh, a conversation with Timothy Mitchell, uh, the author of Carbon Democracy, uh, here on Free City Radio, an exploration, an exploration on the ways that um, fossil fuels have shaped Western political consciousness and the economy over the last hundred years. This is a book that looks critically at the ways that colonialism, British Empire, and more generally uh, U.S. imperialism over the last hundred years has worked to create dependency on fossil fuels, which of course today is uh, uh, propelling the environmental crisis around the world. Uh, That was a discussion with Timothy Mitchell, the author of Carbon Democracy. This has been Free City Radio on CKUT 90.3 FM. I'm Stefan Christoph. It is the 13th of October. Uh, We broadcast every Wednesday at 11 o'clock. You can also find our podcast online. Just search Free City Radio through Apple Podcasts. Um, To go out on the program today, I'm going to feature a piece of music from the uh, group Asian Dub Foundation. Stay tuned to CKUT. Coming up next is the F-Files. Today, the color line is the power line is the poverty line.
is the poverty line. Sanctified vagabond, speak upon things Praise be the king of the fringe, why not go ahead? Meditate up in the mountain like two mountain dread Staple no shout, racking that, cold fish and bread Babylon in my vein, can I shake that out my system? Dip down, get flat, smack the floor 28 days on tour, the civil in me dwindle We kindle the hooligan, conspiracy addict Sporadic bouts of murderous thought Fully qualified loon, shaking a fist at the moon Scolding notes of protest to the MI5 Screaming what makes thee Keep files on me, just because to break the twigs off the sick or more tree. Place that in some water and we sip once and see. Transmit to transmit frequencies, utilities at the green matter mass. Way past the dust, the dust, ash to ash. Way past the dust, the dust, ash to ash. Gog and Fada. Stepping out of place, pure Bible If he can tribal, praise no idol Penetrate maps in the valley for cash Two tools we flash, flee this place Valley too creepy, still my grace I'm check checking, booth checking Only for earth stepping Warming up the arts of old devil co-pen Yeah, folks she's praise when my man ends all Woman easy kicking style to your center I spread my spine, I'm rich with earth tips We makes like we slick, lord knows that we slick But these brands are stickies of an acquired Yearn. We cushion the ill as Babylon turn Too gripping to rhyme flips like misers to money Slap to blackjack but me shun Jim Rummy Weez Earth stepper, we cruising our step and we We not keep no frowsy for friends We, we were never victims of trends I In the idle mode, rolling the road, let it be told This old hat, classical maps, back to front Word stunt, toe punts in top corners No braze in my sauna, free form brainstormer Dawn of dawn, dawning, I see the morning I hear the calling, yeah Some of them are nicky and, some of them are kinky and Some of them say frigid and, some of them say kinky In the grip of Skid Valley, there ain't that much love Just the need to exist by any which means Frauds in my midst, never trusted my shit Now them said frauds, they eat for my shit Juggle up, keep bubbling on Juggle up, keep bubbling on I talk